holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Marca Mesut Ozil Corner, llegó el gol de Olivier Giroud Marca el Arsenal, marca Olivier Giroud Gol de los Gunners This is Arscast Extra Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra As always with James from Gunner Blog Um... Top of the morning to you, James. <laughs> Thank you. Top of the morning to you, too, as well. Mm. That was absolutely spot on. It was spot on. And if people don't know what I'm talking about, beyond being, you know, obviously very Irish, because that's what Irish people say all the time, all day long, top of the morning to you until it's afternoon. And then we still say top of the morning to you because it's on top of the morning. The afternoon is literally on top of the morning. That's where that comes from. But you you spent your weekend very productively creating a video, a remarkable piece of, I guess, impressionism. And I don't mean in Thank the painting you. sense. I mean, you, you, sure. you put together 25 accents in one video. I'm sure people have seen those kind of things on YouTube before. But this was, if you don't mind me saying so, James, a tour de force. It really was. Thank you very much. I mean, I know as a man who who does a lot of voiceover work yourself, you would have mm. been concerned having seen that video come out and thought, wow, this guy could corner the market here. Yeah, certainly. I'm, I'm a bit worried now. The potential that you have got to absolutely do every voiceover in any accent <laughs> for every single ad that there ever might be is concerning to me. You know, this is my livelihood here. I'm not holding it against you. You know, between this and you not giving me a part in your sitcom in my dreams, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not holding <laughs> grudges here. But I just wanted to play people the the Irish accent here, and I think this will probably sum up uh, as best as anything can just how remarkable and how spot on all your impressions were. This, this is you doing an Irish accent. Arr, me hearties, they're after <laughs> me lucky charms. So I think I've made my point. I mean, look, it's uh, it's uncanny. It's like you were from the very the very heart of the old sod itself, James. Uh, you know, you just have a <laughs> remarkable ear for this kind of thing. I know. What can I say? Very adept. I mean, what is interesting, I uploaded it on my kind of blog YouTube channel and I had quite a lot of messages then, uh, genuinely concerned for my mental health. So I, th <laughs> I thank you for those guys. Uh, and also a lot of other uh, messages being like, James, these are terrible, terrible accents. <laughs> and uh, I think they've uh, perhaps something's been lost in translation or perhaps in the accents there. But, I mean, look, I'm expecting the work to come rolling in now. Certainly. I mean, the the uh, the, the big agents, all the big voiceover uh, places will be will be after you now because they're just the Hounding range. me, I imagine. Absolutely. The range was, I mean, it's incredible. Absolutely yeah. just incredible. Army hearties. They're after me, lucky charms. You know what I like about that, though, most, uh, most above all else, is that just as you're really getting into it, you, you sort of actually nearly touch on an Irish accent. 
I like that yeah, part. It gets close. It gets close, but not, mm. you know, it's close, but certainly no cigar. No, definitely no cigar. But, the, you know, the, the start off strong pirate and then you sort of descend into something, to something vaguely Irish. It is a difficult accent or Irish is very difficult for people to do. Um, I, mm. I, have you ever watched, uh, if you look at, um, if you look around on YouTube, if you see, like, do Kevin Spacey, who's a really great impressionist. He does fantastic yeah. impressions. Um, and he was in a film called Ordinary Decent Criminal. And I'm going to see if I can load this up here. Like, he's brilliant, absolutely brilliant at accents and mimicking people. But this was him, this is from the trailer of that film, trying to do a Dublin accent. This thing of me becoming a bit of a TV star lately, I want you all to know, it's not going to change me one little now, I don't know how to even begin to talk about what sort of a, an abomination of an accent that was. It's vaguely, vaguely Northern Irish, coupled with this thing that every Hollywood actor does when they think they have to do an Irish accent, is that they've got to talk a bit like this. And, and bring, the, bring the pitch of their voice up like, because everybody in Ireland talks a bit like this, you know. A little like that. They just they right exactly, there. to be sure, and all that, you know, we talk a bit like yeah. this. <laughs> slightly menacing, high voice, like. I don't know whose fault that is. Was there one Irish actor who spoke like that? And it's like, oh, that's how they talk now. I don't know. I don't know. I I really firmly believe that many of them are taking their Irish accent from the Lucky Charms leprechaun from the ads. I assume... I believe so. I assume that's what it is. It's very rare to find uh, people who can do an Irish accent. Um, There's been lots of really, really bad ones out there, and I'm struggling actually to think of to think of any good ones, to be perfectly honest. But I do wonder if that's a thing where where you see Irish and British actors going uh, to the US and they do an American accent. I wonder, does it sound as bad to Americans as the bad Irish accent sounds to Irish people, for example? I, d- I watched, um, over the weekend, I watched the most recent series of uh, Black Mirror, the first episode of that mm. I watched on Netflix, and that was all British actors playing Americans. And normally, I think British actors are spot on, but this in watching this, I, it did jar with me a few times. I was like, oh, these guys aren't quite nailing it. Mm. I mean, again, more work for me. Bring me on board as an accent coach. I can sort these people out, no problem. Do you know who I liked doing an American accent the best was uh, Hugh Laurie in House. Yes. This yeah, was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. he knew he couldn't really do it, so he... You would just talk really slowly like this and say, oh, uh, I'm yeah. afraid you are going to die unless we find a cure for what this mystery illness is. I will find out in the next uh, 50 minutes or so. But he, he spoke like that because, you know, he didn't have to use any pitch or anything like that and sort of got away with it a bit. But there you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. He did all right. He did all right. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you find your own accent varies? Like, in different contexts, do you sound more or less Irish? I don't know, you see. I don't know if I sound terribly Irish at all. Um, Mm. But quite often I get asked, I mean, I do get asked to do a lot of voiceover stuff and I will send, you know, voiceovers. I'll do stuff from my own studio at home and someone will say, can you do this? And then a number of times, and this is, it's happened four or five times where I've submitted a voiceover to the agency or to the studio that wanted, they've then played it to the client and the client says, well, we we didn't want an American I'm right. sitting there going, hmm, <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, how to, do you want me to do it like this? Will I do it like yeah. this? Come come on down to mix floors. You know, we got the best floors here for, you know, and it's sort of like, I don't know how to make myself sound any more Irish, but I think my accent is, 
is strange because when I came back to Ireland from the UK, I was 10 years of age and I lived in Yorkshire and I came to Ireland into the middle of a school year, one of those not, not even starting at the start of the school year, you sort of dropped into the class in October, so you're already a weirdo, and then you're talking yeah, in, a, tough. in a Yorkshire accent at 10 years of age in a school in Dublin, you, you lose it really quickly. Uh, I, I don't know if it was a conscious decision, but you know, I don't think it's typically, typically Irish, but uh, yeah, I don't know why. Does yours, does yours change depending on who you're talking to? Like, I have a friend... It, it doesn't become more Irish. No, yours doesn't, but I, I do have a friend who, if he's if he's meeting somebody uh, who's a bit more Dublin than he is, uh, he will yeah. sort of a, a, adopt the way that he talks to them. So the guy go, "All right, how's it going?" And he go, "All right, man, yeah, sound on grand." And he doesn't really sound like that at all. But just to sort of fit yeah. into the to the conversation, I think people do that. I think I've got a tendency to do that to slightly gravitate towards people's accents or, or register. Yeah, mm. I think if I'm like back with my family, I probably drop a lot more T's and H's and what have you. And then, you know, if you put me in refined company, if you drop me into the Diamond Club at the Emirates Stadium, I'll well, of talk course. Like the Queen. Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you've got to adapt to the surroundings that you find yourself in. Well, absolutely. 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 So it's, uh, it's that sort of thing, really. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, accents. Interesting, eh? It, they are. I find them interesting, certainly. Um, oh, there we go. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what more, it was considerably more interesting than, I guess, the football. I mean, is there anything else that happened to you this weekend you should tell me about before we have to venture into sporting matters? Um, no. No. It was a fairly <laughs> fairly quiet weekend, to be perfectly honest. A few, few beers here and there, but nothing, nothing outrageous. Didn't do anything particularly... Interesting or exciting. Um, played five aside on uh, Friday. That was it. Oh, very nice. Five aside. Mm. I saw my um, monkey loving mum yesterday. Oh, yeah. Day. That was nice. Have I told you about the monkey? Yeah. We did do. We did the monkey thing. Did you like. Yeah, yeah. She's, drop? she's still seething. She's still seething about that. <laughs> uh, you should get her a I, toy yes, monkey. Mainly, oh, I did. And that, I mean, she sort of ripped it up like a dogwood. She wasn't happy about it. <laughs> No, she. Uh, I just gave her a toy monkey. I think it only furthered her sense of disappointment. Mm. She still yearns for a monkey. My sort of consolation is that I've said I'm going to take her. There's a place in Britain called, like, I think it's called Monkey World or something, and there are monkeys living there peacefully. So I'm going to take her there. In, oh. It's in Wareham in Britain somewhere. Okay. Well, that seems like a you know a nice compromise. Sort of, yeah, the monkeys live peacefully there, but they're not confined. You know, I don't, want, I don't want to keep a monkey cruelly against its will. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, <laughs> I watched an international football match yesterday for my for my sins. Oh, England! I watched England playing. Yeah, not not in person, just via a television. But mm. even at that sufficient distance, it was still relatively unpleasant. Mm. I didn't watch that. I, you know, I, I was aware that it was on, but England versus Lithuania was, you know. It's a tough sell, really, at the best of times. It is a tough sell, you know, especially when the sort of heartwarming story is in centres around Jermaine Defoe. Mm. I, I kind of find that, you know, difficult to get on board with. Yeah, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain played. Uh, he, he, he was he was there. He participated mm. in the game. I mean, it was a, you know, it was, it was nice to have some sort of Arsenal interest for however, however long he is at the club, if uh, stories are to be believed. But uh, he played in central midfield. But it was one of those games, Lithuania, I mean, 
this might surprise you, Andrew, but Lithuania aren't very good. Oh, uh, hang on, hang on, what? Yeah, I know. I thought I was going to sit down and watch a sort of gladiatorial contest between, you know, two titans of the game. Mm. And instead what I got was a, a very average England side against a, an even more average Lithuania side. Mm. Um and a pretty average performance from Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, to be honest. I mean, he, he did OK, but he played kind of in holding midfield alongside Eric Dyer. And I don't know if it was just pro- his proximity to a Spurs player that was putting him off, but I thought that his his movement wasn't great. You know that thing Mohamed Elneny's so good at, which yeah. is like dropping into the right space to receive the ball? Yeah. Um, Oxlade-Chamberlain didn't quite do that as well as you might hope. And no. I guess... I mean, a few weeks ago, we were all singing his praise as a centre midfielder, but I guess he's still relatively inexperienced in that position, right? Yeah, I guess so. So when the commentator said Chamberlain Dyer, it was a pass, not a, a, a comment on his performance. <laughs> An assessment, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit of both. I think yeah. it was a bit of both. Yeah. Um, so I watched that, uh, and it was mainly horrible. Mm. Uh, did you watch any football at all this weekend? No, I watched the end of Ireland versus... Wales on Friday night because I wasn't really a paying attention and b not that interested and it didn't seem like a very good game until obviously the the big incident uh, happened with with Seamus Coleman and Neil Taylor uh, which I guess is the talking point of of the weekend regardless of which national side you're supporting the uh, the injury sustained by Seamus Coleman is a, a truly horrific one and first and foremost you've got to wish him all the best uh, in his recovery from that. It's going to take him a long time. I think it's going to be a very uh, difficult process for him as well as as Arsenal fans know quite well having seen a number of these injuries down the years. Yes, we certainly have. I mean... In fact, Aaron Ramsey, of course, was on the field, wasn't he, when it, when it took place? Mm. I mean, I wonder... That must have brought back some very painful memories for him. Um, but yeah, an absolutely horrific incident and I mean it's funny that was the incident but actually I think you have to talk about it in the broader context of Gareth Bale you know a very yeah. similar challenge not long before that and and I feel like the two are kind of inextricably linked really if what the fact that one went uh, relatively unpunished means that the second kind of was not a, not permitted to happen but you can see how that kind of contributed to it obviously. yeah I think Ken Early writes a really good piece about this today in the Irish Times uh, which you can find you know, on the irishtimes.com and also on my timeline on Twitter at arsblog, and I've linked to it there. It's a really good piece, but he's talking about uh, how referees really need to uh, to punish bad tackles properly because what happens is when players are punished properly for bad tackles, they stop tackling that way. It might take some time. He makes a really good point that like it wasn't until 1998 that the tackle from behind was was outlawed, and now... Nobody ever tackles from behind. And I think the thing I think football needs to do is look at the way incidents like this are are treated. And I don't think it's helpful in any way to make excuses for the player who has inflicted the injury on an opponent and these sort of straw man arguments about well oh, he he didn't mean to break his leg or he'd no intention of going out to break his leg. Well, of course he didn't. He's not a fucking psychopath. Nobody goes out with the express intention of breaking another player's leg, but... Roy Keane, maybe. But well, <laughs> you know, maybe, but even he didn't do that, did he? I know he d- inflicted some damage on, on Alfinger Haaland's yeah. knee, and, and that was a, 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 an outrageous foul to commit. But 
I think football has its head in the sand when it comes to these kind of injuries because it doesn't want to deal with them. It doesn't want to deal with the the consequences of it. It doesn't want to deal with the the responsibility that I think it has. Like football as a game um, has a responsibility to the players who play the game and to the fans who pay the money to to watch these players. You know, everybody can turn around and say, "Look, Neil Taylor, uh, not that kind of player. What a load of bullshit." We know why that argument is is complete nonsense. Um, he doesn't have a track record of uh, causing huge injury. I think that some people over the weekend pointed out a couple of uh, incidents, one where he kicked Kyle Walker in the head and that was a high foot. And, you know, but he's not one of those players who's, who's down as, as a hatchet man. Um, and I don't think anybody is really suggesting that he should be uh, thrown to the lions or made a scapegoat for this. But A, I think there should be, and there continues not to be, a much better way of dealing with these these kind of uh, incidents from a, a disciplinary point of view, because there's no deterrent for players not to tackle or not to to lose control for those couple of seconds. What Taylor did was reckless, but he knew he knew fine well as every player on that pitch knew that if you go in that late and that high with your studs up, the consequences of it can be really really bad. Like they they mm. all know that. And that's not to make any excuses, right? But what happens is the minute something like that happens, people go, oh, he didn't mean it. He's not that kind of player, but blah, blah, blah. And it, it doesn't really help in any way uh, to make excuses. Because, you know, whether he meant it or not, the consequences are obvious for Seamus Coleman, where he's going to spend nine months, 12 months out of the game at 28 years of age. And you've got to ask the question, is he ever going to come back and be the same player? You know, you see people saying, oh, he'll come back stronger from this. Well, you know what? He might not come back stronger from this because he had his legs snapped in two. And that is hugely damaging. Footballers need their legs. And having your shin and your, your tibia and fibula broken, you know, it, it, it could very well make him weaker. And he might never be the, the same player again. And, and I think we... We, the mental gymnastics that people go through to excuse the man who inflicted that injury um, are a bit astonishing at times. Well, I, I think it's to do with how... It's almost linked to how shocking the images are. They look so alarming that I think it allows people to kind of dismiss them as freak incidents. Mm. But actually, of course, they're the consequence of tackles and they're the consequence of which the manner in which the game is refereed and the kind of tackles that are yeah. allowed to be put in and i agree that absolutely that what there needs to be is some sort of sliding scale of punishment really you know i think we i think with every passing season the kind of absurdity i mean we see it in domestic football more when it's a question of like you know if it's a automatic red it's a one game or a three game but I think it, it needs to be more flexible than that really uh, because some challenges are worse than the others yeah. I suppose where it gets tricky is like should you only be punished for a tackle like that uh, if the guy's leg does break because no. you know if you get lucky I think and the guy walks away from it I think it still has to be treated in the same way right? Yeah I think so that's the, that's the whole point isn't it that don't go in like that whether you inflict injury or not People, players have to be aware that if they tackle like that, then um, then they are going to be punished for it, whether that's through retrospective video action or, or, or whatever else. But the culture has to change as well, James, because, you know, it's, it's part and parcel of the British game and the Irish game. You know, uh, leave one in on the man, let him know you're there, the reducer. This whole thing has to be put to bed, 
I think it's archaic. It belongs in the fucking Stone Ages. And it contributes to incidents like we saw on Friday night with Seamus Coleman when, when he got injured. I think that plays, that plays a real part in that, you know, that, that there has to be an awareness that you can't, you can't do that. You just can't do it mm. and run the risk of causing that kind of damage to a fellow player. Everyone loves the fact that football is a physical game. I love the fact football is physical. I love a really good tackle. Everybody loves a good physical battle as well. But there are lines that you can't cross. And when those lines are crossed, they should be properly uh, condemned and exposed by people who are paid money to talk about the game. Pundits, commentators, you know, we've had it in the last few weeks, and I'm pretty sure that every uh, fan of every club could point to similar examples. I'm only aware of them from an Arsenal point of view because, you know, Arsenal are the only games that I watch with such uh, intensity, right? So I'm aware of what happens with our players. You look at that challenge on Alex Iwobi, and they laughed as the guy followed through and, and caught Iwobi in the uh, the Sutton United game. Uh, Mesut Ozil against Lincoln City, the guy's off the ground, and Ozil is lucky that he didn't catch his, his standing leg. Alexis Sanchez with James James McLean, Hector Bellerin, you know, this idea that the meaty tackle that is something to be laughed about, that players who are stronger or who, who physically damage other players are somehow to be held up as a, an example to us all, I think is wrong. And that, that's right the way through the media. You know, from BBC to ITV to BT and Sky Sports, you see it with all the pundits talking this way, that they don't they very rarely will say that's that's wrong that's over the top that's dangerous that could really have hurt him and that kind of thing shouldn't be allowed when do you ever hear that from anyone well very very rarely and i think you know you've got to remember that the pundits are often are recently retired players so i guess that suggests it's it's kind of endemic all through the game really you know mm. i mean but the media, you're right, shape, play a big part in defining opinion and shaping perception of something. So you would like that to be the area to kind of change first, almost. I, do you think it's a, a British problem? I mean, it's two British teams in this international game. Do you think it's more specific don't to Britain? Say, or? Don't say British when you're talking about the Irish team. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. That was a big from from, <laughs> from the British Isles, James. I think we could British uh, Isles is what I meant. Sorry. Yeah. Look, um, may, maybe it is. You know, I'm not saying that only uh, uh, British and Irish players are capable of inflicting that sort of damage. You know, players around the world and in other leagues. You know that they they will do that, but I do. You know, certainly from my point of view, and having you know grown up playing football, you're always taught that the physical side of the game is is hugely important, which it is. You know, you you can be talk you can talk about teams being bullied and Arsenal being bullied and all that kind of stuff, but you know it, it it's a, it's a it's a it's a bigger thing than just one tackle though, which is why I don't think all the focus should be on Neil Taylor. Now, obviously, he's responsible for what he did, and he's responsible for the injury to to Seamus Coleman. But let's look at the culture. Let's look at the uh, the way that football is taught, the way that football is talked about. That these kind of tackles, you know, you're considered, you know, brave or manly if you go in like that. Referees, the the complete lack of consistency among referees plays a big part in this as well, because. Uh, you know, the Marcus Rojo tackles this season. He's got away with two two-footed tackles. And if you're a player, you know, who's on the edge slightly or willing to operate on the edge, why wouldn't you? 
why wouldn't you like see if you can go over the line a little bit? Because you might just get away with it. Chances are you will get away with it with, with these referees. And again, the 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 total lack of disciplinary fairness in the system plays a part as well because you know that even if you do get sent off for a horror challenge that snaps a guy's leg in two while he's on a hospital bed for months with plates and screws and everything else in his leg the most you're going to miss is three games and that can't be right you know there's got to be an element of deterrent as well now you, you hear people say all the time well you know taylor should be banned for as long as seamus coleman is out injured which, you know, it's a bit tit for tat, eye for an eye kind of a thing. But there has yeah. to be, there has to be uh, a desire to look at these things and say, it's completely unfair. I don't want to, you know, we can use the Granite Xhaka thing, sent off against Swansea, three-game ban, whereas a tackle that breaks somebody's leg is a three-game ban. You know, how do you tally those two things? You can't conflate the two incidents or the seriousness of them and, and give them the same ban. I remember at the time when Eduardo got injured against Birmingham, I think Jeremy Aliadier, and I've used this example before, Jeremy Aliadier was playing for Middlesbrough at the time. And he had a little bit of an argument on the pitch with a guy, and he sort of raised his hands and sort of gave him a a little tap on the cheek, you know? And Mm -hmm. he was sent off. The old, you can't raise your hands, you can't have any complaints about raising your hands. Sent off, mandatory three-game ban for a straight red card for a so-called violent conduct. And then Middlesbrough appealed the ban. And Ali Adier was given an extra game for a frivolous appeal, which meant he got four games for lightly tapping somebody on the cheek, while Martin Taylor got three games for destroying Eduardo's leg. Like, how is that even possible? How is it? How can anyone look at that and not see a system that is just fundamentally flawed, which then contributes uh, to, to incidents like this, which are, I think we should point out, still thankfully quite rare? Yeah, well, I think that the injuries are, are, are rare because, you know, these are super athletic guys and often they're able to kind of hurdle challenges or, or escape. But, you know, the, the risk is always there. The mm. risk is always there. In almost every game you watch in the Premier League, there's at least a, one very bad tackle. Uh, I think the thing of banning someone for the length that someone's injured isn't quite right because I think the severity of the injury shouldn't does not necessarily define how poor the challenge was. You know, you yeah, walk away from a terrible, terrible tackle. And I think I think the main thing needs to shift is kind of an ideological thing where, you know, people I think people fear that physical game and a contact game is not compatible with a world in which these kinds of challenges are condemned. But that's mm. an absolute nonsense. It's perfectly possible you know, to be an athletic player, a strong player, a muscular player, a player who loves tackling without committing these kind of dangerous fouls. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, think, I think that actually something that's happened in the sport in the last 10 years is that there's, there's almost been a sense of like, well, the, the art of tackling having been lost and it's like the, the focus on the technical game has been so strong that actually the physical aspect and the, and some of the defensive aspects have been a little bit neglected. And I think that, you know, you don't see that many players now. You think, wow, they're actually a technical tackler. Like, they are a superb tackler. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of an example now, but, like, you know, a ball winner like N'Golo Kante is not someone who needs to go in foot raised. I'm sure someone can find an example of where it's happened. But, you know, it's about the skill of winning the ball and doing it in an adept manner. Yeah. Um, 
I, I mean, you know, Tomasz Rzycki was a guy at Arsenal who was surprisingly brilliant at slide tackles. Yeah. And, and it, you know, there was never a hint of danger about it. And I actually think that, you know, if, if the media want to put a positive spin on it, it's about celebrating the people who really can tackle without having to be aggressive and, and hurt people. I mean, sorry, you can be aggressive, but just it's that intent to hurt that I think, or not even intent to hurt, but the lack of consideration for what for the possible consequence of what you're doing. That's exactly, the carelessness yeah. and the recklessness. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Because as as much as anyone, players are aware of what the damage could be. You know, they they play mm. every every week, they train um, and challenges and, and tackles are part and parcel of the game, and nobody's saying that you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't um, have that, or they should be done away with, or that football should become a non-contact sport. But I think the I just find I find it hard to understand why uh, when things like this happen, there isn't more consideration about what can be done about it, rather than just to sort of brush it under the carpet and say, "Oh, look." Uh, Seamus Coleman was just a bit unfortunate. It was only a split-second thing. You know, chances are nine times out of ten he wouldn't get injured, etc., etc. That's not the point when the guy is injured for me, you know, and it's... Um, yeah, and, and I think I think it makes people uncomfortable, to be honest, uh, but that probably suggests it needs to be unpacked and it needs to be talked about. And I, I wish Coleman a swift recovery. I think... You know, the, the worrying thing, I think, with Seamus Coleman is that he's 27, 28 this year. Yeah. It's uh, it's a little bit different to Aaron Ramsey kind of as a teenager receiving an injury of that scale. Um, I mean, you know, there are positives and negatives to that. But, you know, if he's got a, a year to two year rehab, who, who knows what it might be? Um, it's a real shame for him at a time when his club and international career were going uh, pretty well. And, uh, you know, having seen our own players go through that kind of process and some of the consequences that can come about. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of wish him all the best. Really. Yeah, absolutely. Because it is going to be, it is going to be really difficult because you do wonder when players suffer these kind of injuries, if they are ever, ever the same again, like Ramsey looked like he got away with it, you know, because he was so young and he was able to recover more quickly. But, you know, can, can you really not look at all the muscular injuries that he suffers and wonder if it doesn't have something to do with, the fact that his leg was broken in such a, a a traumatic way, you know, we Eduardo never recovered properly. I mean, he went on, he played Abu for Shakhtar, Abu Dhabi, yeah. a guy who who ultimately ended up with one leg shorter than the other because of uh, all the damage that was inflicted upon his ankle and all the surgeries that he required, and that pretty much every injury uh, that he suffered since was a consequence of that terrible tackle from from Dan Smith and we, we're talking about three players who actually came back there are players who've had their legs broken and do not come back they never get to play again you think of um, who's the guy at Liverpool the Irish guy uh, Jim Beglin mm. he was one mm. um, the Chelsea fella as well Paul Furlong oh Cassera Oh, Paul, is that, is that how you think? I was thinking of Kassiragi, but I don't know if he came back. I think he was a knee injury more than a uh, than a break, I think. And there have been players. Yeah. Um, what was his name? The the, oh, the fucking blue lip guy from Leeds who went to play for Manchester United. Uh, Alan Smith. Alan Smith, yeah. You know, he had his leg broken horrifically by by a football. I mean, he blocked a shot and his leg just snapped, you know, and... 
from there on, I don't think he was ever the same kind of a player. So, you know, this is something that, that Coleman's going to have to try and uh, and cope with. You know, to come back and to deal with that kind of injury at 28 years of age is going to be very difficult. So, look, I, I wish him uh, all the very best and to Everton as well because as a club, it's a, it's a difficult thing uh, to go through when you see one of your players injured that way. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, that was a... Yeah, it was a really... Put a dampener on the weekend, that, and it, it, yeah, let's hope. Let's hope that when the Premier League resumes, the referees and their committee have kind of taken something from it. I mean, mm. I'm not too hopeful, but let's uh, let's see what happens. Yeah. Do you see any other international football? Mesut Ozil's back has healed, I believe. Um, actually, you know who I got? I got that wrong. It was Paul Elliott, not Paul, Paul Furlong uh, at Chelsea. Ah, sorry. Yes, that does that does yeah. make more sense. So he, yeah. he had his actually his leg broken by Dean Saunders, who was one of the people who said that Neil, uh, Neil Taylor is not that kind of a player. And uh, Paul <laughs> Elliott, I think it was uh, either a, a break or a bad knee injury or something that that he never recovered from. But you know, um, yeah, Mesut Ozil. Paul back. Furlong, meanwhile. Carried on being uh, Paul rubbish at football well into his 30s, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's something I think we can all identify with. Um, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, Messer also back for Germany, so his back has recovered sufficiently for him to come on uh, as a substitute in a 4-1 win over Azerbaijan, which is good. Mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, oh, I mean, ooh, I, mean I think ooh. it was... Oh, sorry, sorry. But I, I know that uh, it was quite a while ago now, but... I must just touch on for the international break Lucas Podolski's goal uh, oh, against yeah. England last week. Yeah. Absolutely stunning strike. I was delighted by that. I mean, I know I shouldn't necessarily be celebrating a Germany victory over England, but uh, wow, what a, what a hit! It was only a friendly, and what a goal it was! In fairness, his uh, his final appearance for Germany and uh, uh, an absolute classic Podolski goal. That just absolutely when he hits them. He really, really connects, doesn't he? You know, there's, uh, I don't think there's anybody who really hits a ball harder than he does. No, I mean, and also a classic Podolski performance, really, in that he kind of did nothing the whole game, smashed it in from about 30 yards, and then departed the pitch to the music from Gladiator. I mean, it was just a, an extraordinary sequence of events. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, what a, what a good way for him to go out. I mean, he wasn't always the best footballer in the world, but he seemed a very likeable character. Um, I think my favourite... Podolski moment is I don't know if you I can't remember what game it was but there's a picture of the Arsenal bench and it's a miserable day they're all sitting there it's raining they've got their hoods up it's just a horrible horrible day everyone is sitting there on the bench like oh, fucking Jesus this is horrible here I'm really not having a good time and Podolski's like big smile on his face who knows what the hell he's laughing at he probably just thought of you know a puppy falling down the stairs or something I don't know but uh, yeah <laughs> I, mean, I mean people always say that one of the reasons they kept around the Germany squad is that he was so good for morale like he was just you know an important part of the glue of that squad really and I think he bridged a couple of generations but I was actually looking into it and his international record's absolutely phenomenal I mean he, he got 130 caps only 88 of those were starts and from that, he got 49 goals and 31 assists. I mean, it's not too shabby, really. That is, uh, that's impressive numbers. Those are That's as many numbers. goals as Bobby Charlton got for England, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Well, there, so you, there go. you go. OK, well, look, uh, well done, Lucas. Uh, Alexis hasn't had a good time with Chile. He's throwing a bit of a strop against uh, Argentina. You surprised me. I know. <laughs> Who would have thought he's usually such an easygoing kind of guy? Placid, uh, yeah. Yeah, he really is. He really is. Army hearties. They're after me, lucky charms. I, I think we should take well, a break, right? 
Yeah, let's let's have a break. We'll come back with more and your questions right after this. Your Mouse Jones here, one third of the Guys Next Door podcast. Now listen here, with best Christmas ever on AMC Plus, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern and iconic family classics like the Polar Express and The Year Without Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. They're all here on AMC+. AMC Plus is available on all your devices, so celebrate the best Christmas ever anytime, anywhere. Make sure you sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arse Cast. I'm sorry. <coughs> Welcome back. <laughs> sorry, I was doing my Irish thing again. Welcome back to the Arse Cast Extra. Yeah? You like it? Yeah. But, I mean, I was going to say do it for the whole second half, but I think it would it would eventually begin to grate, so stick with your normal I voice. I think it would fun. be. It would become quite annoying indeed. Um, this is uh, part two of the podcast where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at Gunnerblog and at Arseblog, and also on the Arseblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arseblog, on which... Ivan Ho says, what can I do to get my question on the podcast? <laughs> Great question. It is. Um, it is. I, I don't I'm know. Gonna, I just, you know, I don't I, know. Yeah. I can't, honestly, I can't think of an answer. Sorry, mate. Can't help you there. Yeah. That's it. Uh, Try harder. I'll tell I you guess. what. Over on Twitter, Peter Kenley who's at Kenley Peter, confusingly, um, says, should you guys have stayed in New York? Been shit ever since. I don't know if he means us or Arsenal. Maybe both. Maybe both. Certainly, certainly things were good when we were in New York, James. Um, Traffic-wise. should go back to yeah. New York. It, mm. could, it, could, it could solve everything. It's like, you know, the end of Lost, when they're like, if we, we need to go back to the island, that's we'll put everything right in the universe. I never watched I think, Lost. Spoilers, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, don't bother, honestly. I mean, it's... I, I, I got too far in. I waded... It was like, you know, Macbeth. I committed so many murders by watching so many series, I just had to carry on killing. Mm. I think... Um, Is that Macbeth? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying about Beth. He just keeps killing people. He's He says something about, I've come too far, basically. I've just got to keep killing everyone. Oh, that's thought, how I felt about Lost. I thought that was Terminator, but yeah, maybe Shakespeare's out of his time. <laughs> I think uh, Shakespeare copied the plot from Terminator. <laughs> it's based on Terminator. Um, I Yeah, I think we should go back to New York. I think maybe that would suddenly realign everything. Do you remember when we were in New York, we beat Chelsea 3-0? Yeah. Was Title good. challenges potentially. Mm. Great times. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah, maybe we should go back. I think we might need to crowdfund that, though. To be perfectly honest, um, <laughs> so if anyone wants to save our season, 
go to our uh, crowdfunding page, which we'll set up. Just just giving. I think you know, if we were to go, we would need to stay in probably four seasons, something in? like that. Home alone, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. None uh, of this Airbnb shit. Like, fuck that. We need to stay like penthouse, sort of a, a hotel suite kind of thing. You know, just to to infuse the maximum into Arsenal season. I think that's it. I mean, instead of renewing your season ticket, just put the money directly into that crowdfunder mm. and we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Um, right. Well, any other, any, any questions from you? Oh, yeah, I do have a question. Okay, this one comes from uh, at Messit1079. In relation to stories uh, this morning, I don't know if you've seen the quotes, but from uh, Thierry Henry. Um, the mm. club's leading all-time goal-scoring, record goal-scorer of all time. And uh, he was asked if he might be the man to replace Arsene Wenger. And what he said was, well, it doesn't depend on me. There are things to be respected. It's the club of my heart. My name is quoted to succeed Wenger. I hear that, but it's hard for me to talk about it. I have a lot of respect for everything the coach has done. Am I ready? I don't know. And nobody knows. But I also need to learn my job. Right now, I'm in learning mode. Learning from the great Roberto Martinez mm. uh, with Belgium. I mean, I... So, so that, that's the quote. Sorry, was there, what was the question attached? Do you, do you ever see him managing Arsenal? Do you actually see Thierry Henry managing Arsenal? <sighs> There was a story, wasn't there, in the Telegraph uh, about a month or so ago that uh, Josh Kroenke's preferred choice to succeed Arsene Wenger was Thierry Henry. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, uh, I do. I do remember yeah. that. <laughs> um, I, uh, do I ever see it? I mean, I, I sort of think it's kind of, at this idea, at this time, it feels like a fairly ridiculous suggestion. I mean, Jamie Redknapp suggested it in the Sky Studio the other day as well. But I find it kind of... Well, I mean, there you go. Yeah, exactly. I think that tells you everything you need to know. At the moment, he just doesn't have the requisite experience, does he, to take on a job of that scale? I can't I can't see it, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, I would love to think that he would come back to the club in some capacity at some stage, but... I don't think we're we're in that place yet. I, I'm actually quite surprised that Thierry Henry has chosen to become a coach. I did not see that for him when he was a player, mm. if I'm completely frank with you. I thought punditry, yes, possibly. Uh, International playboy, certainly. Yeah, honestly, like I think like kind of an executive role seemed more <laughs> suitable for him. I didn't see him as a guy who'd want to be out there on the training field. Maybe I underestimated his love for kind of the, the nitty-gritty of the game, mm. to be honest with you. But um, I don't think you can possibly just drop him straight into that job. I mean, I know Zinedine Zidane, you know, he's kind of the shining example of what someone can do. He's coming at Real Madrid and been a real success. But he did at least kind of do his schooling with the, the B team over there. And, yeah. Um, He's got a hell of a squad to play with, too. Yeah, I do wonder, you know, if, if you really want to become a coach, would that not be, a coach or a manager, would that not be your absolute full-time focus? That that's yeah. everything that you would do, which is why I think he's a little bit himself unsure of what exactly it is he he wants to do. You know, the um, 
the opportunity was there to grow his career within Arsenal. We know that there was a job offer there, but it was dependent on him focusing on that job and that job alone and not being a, a Sky Sports pundit. But he chose the punditry and then obviously went off with Roberto Martinez. Um, you know, there's not much that I've ever seen from Thierry Henry when he talks about the game that suggests to me he is going to be a great manager, you know. Um, sometimes you can hear someone talk about the game and you see, oh, wow, they're, they've got, you know, really great insight or they're obviously, you know, think about the game in a very clear and concise way or they can express what they think about the game. You can see how they might uh, implement that on the training field, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think we've ever seen that from Thierry or certainly never heard it from him on Sky, which is why I think Bjorn Alm, who's at Alm N5, asks, is Thierry Henry's bad punditing a sign of a bad coach or... Is it a reverse Gary Neville, and he will be successful? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, the thing is, Gary Neville had a terrible spell at Valencia, but and and seemingly has kind of turned his back on his coaching career for now, at least. But I, even that, I wouldn't kind of write him off as a bad coach. I think that you know he, what he is is an inexperienced coach in a difficult situation, and I think that. Sometimes we expect people to, in their first job, kind of sink or swim and, and that be that. But, you know, I, I don't know how Arsene Wenger did at Strasbourg, you know, when he started out. I mean, he probably did all right. But the point I'm trying to make is that sometimes you don't have that instant Mourinho impact. Sometimes it's about building your expertise over 10 to 20 years. I mean, maybe that's anathema now. Maybe that's a bit of an old-fashioned idea. But mm. I kind of feel like we're so quick to judge coaches you know as, as we are players but sometimes maybe you need more of a sustained spell to kind of learn the ropes is yeah is that fair enough yeah and when you look at whoever it is that's going to have to come in and take over from Arsene Wenger I think you're going to need a very I think you're going to need an experienced manager someone with a strong personality somebody who knows exactly what it is that they're going to be doing and the idea of however great a player Thierry Henry was your first job in management being at Arsenal, where top four is not enough. It's not, you know, that's that's what the reality of the situation is. You know, w with Arsene Wenger, uh, okay, this season is looking a bit precarious, but winning the FA Cup a couple of times and finishing top four every season, that's not enough for people. They want more than that. Is Thierry Henry the guy to come in and take over and do that and bring the club to the next level? I don't think so. We know, you know, you never know what might happen in the future with more experience, but, you know, I can't see somebody coming in, one of the former players coming in and taking on Arsenal as their as their first job in management, their first real job in management and being a success. I just can't I just can't get my head around that. I also think it would be a bit misguided on the part of uh Cronky, if he thinks that, well, if the fans want Arsene Wenger out, what they'll want is a hero to them, you know, one of their players to come in and take the job. I actually think that the Arsenal supporters are generally more sophisticated in their understanding of the coaching role than that and don't just want, um, you know, a messiah, just like a, a player who had a good relationship with them to come in and take the job. I think people would be pretty alarmed if a Thierry Henry was dropped straight in at the deep end. So, yeah, it's I, I almost... It's almost yeah, as if Josh Kroenke has no clue whatsoever about the way the fans think, or indeed the game of football, and is merely putting it out there as a bit of PR. 
Almost. It, it like almost. It, it it is almost like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Let's have a look. So, have you seen this list? This screenshot of this list that's been doing around of the players whose contracts expire in 2018. Yeah. 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 Well, a lot of people sent that in to me this morning asking about it. I mean, Michael Russell said, "If this list is true, if this list is true." He's suspicious of it straight away. <laughs> Apart from Erzon Sanchez, who would you keep and who would you let go? Do you want to run down it? Do you want to go through it? I mean, it's an alarming list, Andrew. It's a very, very long list of players. Yeah, um, we, we have that. We did that the other week on, on Arsblog News where we have a number of players whose contracts expire in, in 2018. And the list that we have on the site is as follows. Petr Cech, Wojciech Szczesny, Matthew Debushi, Carl Jenkinson, Per Mertesacker, Kieran Gibbs, Jack Wilshire, Mesut Ozil, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Sandy Cazorla, Alexis Sanchez, uh, Adam and Humber, of course, as well. Uh, Joel Campbell, I think, as well, could be uh, uh, 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, the list is wrong, I think, when they put Aaron Ramsey in there. I think his contract runs until 2019. Now, the first thing you would say is that it's 2018, so it's still there's still a year to go on many of these contracts. But football being the way that it is, you know... Uh, when a player's got a year left on his contract, it's make or break. There's a decision to be made by the club. Do they want to keep them? Do they want to let them go? And usually when a player gets to uh, 12 months left of their contract, it's two things. One, the club isn't that interested in uh, offering them a new deal. Or two, the player and the agents are aware of how much more power you might have in any negotiations once you get to this point, right? Because I think it's clear mm-hmm. that if Arsenal could, they certainly would extend the deals of Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez. They want them to stay, whereas you'd have to ask serious questions like, do they want Matthew Debushi to stay, or Carl Jenkinson, or Kieran Gibbs, yeah. or even Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and Jack Wilshire, you know, to that to that uh Extent so, yeah. It's it's a curious list. I mean, if Arsene Wenger does go this uh, this summer, then the manager who comes in has got a fair bit of work to do, doesn't he? To to make decisions on all those players, uh, and those players then also know that when it comes right down to it, they could stay a year and then leave on a free, the old uh, signing on fee somewhere else, and they'd have pretty much. Uh, 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 a wide range of clubs that they could choose from to join. You know, I don't think any of those players are going to struggle to find clubs at various levels. Like, they may not all get an Arsenal-level club, but there certainly uh, won't be sh- uh, short of people who want them. So, Yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, there's a few names on that list, Permer, Saka, Santi, Cazorla. You kind of... That's not really a concern. They've just had their deals extended by an extra year. Equally, people like Jenkinson, Debussy, even Kieran Gibbs to a certain extent, well, you, you kind of think, well, you, you know how that one's going to go this summer. But it's all those names in between. It's all, it's your Oxlade-Chamberlains and your Wilshers and your, your Chesneys. And, you know, they're the ones that uh, big decisions have to be made. And that that will kind of be day one, won't it, for any mm. uh, new manager, literally, to look at that list and go, OK, you know, who do I want to try and keep? Who do I not care about keeping? Um, but if it's Arsene Wenger who's who's making those decisions yeah uh it is curious that it's that it's run so late really yeah they're usually a bit more on top of things uh because i think that's one of the 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 issues that we have had in the past and then if you remember a few years ago there was a it seemed to be contract extension after contract extension you know everybody was more or less tied down for for three or four years and now we've got to a point where 
That's not the case. And, you know, there are question marks over quite a number of the players that, that, uh, that are on that list. You know, that they haven't maybe progressed as players the way that we wanted them to. But also, you can't let... I don't think you can let that many players go. You can't have that many departures in one summer if you say, okay, well, let's let's write off Gibbs, Wilshire, Oxlade-Chamberlain. If Ozil and Sanchez don't want to sign new deals, then you've got to make a decision. I think the only decision you can make in that, in that regard is is sell them and, and get the money in and try and replace them as best you can. I mean, as hard as, as, hard as that's going to be. Um, so it feels, you know, it's one of those things that just adds to the air of uncertainty around the club at this moment in time, you know, on top of everything else, on top of the manager, on top of you know the ructions that are going on. It's just, um, yeah, it's it's not a particularly healthy situation, is it? No, but at least we did tie Francis Cockland down to a new deal earlier this season. Mm. That will have pleased the masses, I'm sure. Undoubtedly, they'll keep people quiet. <laughs> <you know>. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here is a question from A. G. Who is at Abbas underscore Galib. And he wants to know, is Grimondi doing his job? France has an abundance of new talents. Which I, I assume the next part of that is that he is not uh, attracting to the club or, or making the club aware of. I see, right. It's not some sort of implication of, is he doing his job, like going out there procreating, spreading the Grimondi DNA and producing all these incredible new talents. They're all somehow like secret children of his. Yeah, little mini Gilles. Mini Gilles yeah. is going around. <laughs> Um, I, I, is he doing his job? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I guess to a certain extent he is in that we know, for example, there's a lot of fuss about this uh, Killian character. We know at least that Arsenal were on the case. You know, it's not mm. like they were in the dark about him. They were very much trying to recruit him, it sounds like, last year. Mm. So, you know, he is, he is identifying talent. Similarly, um, you know, Jibril Sidibe, who, uh, plays for Monaco and has had a very good season, was another player Arsenal tried to get last summer. So I don't think it's a question that we're necessarily not... not uh, Even even Benjamin Mendy, who's been very praised their left-back, apparently we were in for him before he went to Marseille, like uh, about three, four years ago. So I think we're generally aware of the talent. We just don't seem to be uh, landing quite as much of it as we used to. And I think that's probably because... Other clubs have probably caught up in terms of their scouting networks and their level of knowledge, particularly about France, really. We had such an advantage there in the early years of Arsene Wenger, mm. and that's the playing field's been levelled now. Yeah, I think that that's the worrying thing, isn't it? That it used to be, Arsenal used to be the home for all the, the, uh, the most promising French young talent. Now, not all of it came through and not all of it developed the way that people would have liked, but it was certainly the first port of call. You know, when you had... Uh, you know, players like Henri, Perez, Vieira, um, who were there and established at the club this great French connection, if you like. And, of course, Arsene Wenger at the, the very head of that. But you do wonder if Arsenal is a destination that these players would consider now above others. I'm not sure that it is. No, I mean, it's interesting. The club feels... Uh, a lot less French, doesn't it? I mean, I know there is sort of, you know, there's Giroud, there's Coquelin, Koscielny, but there was that kind of period where that was the identity, really. Of mm. Arsenal. It was so francophonic and, you know, it felt like there was a real hub of talent there that players would want to come and join, you know, even uh, Sylvain Wiltord coming over, you know, even before that, Grimondi and Guard kind of forming the backbone of that uh, with Vieira. But, yeah, that does seem to have shifted somewhat. And I... 
I guess that is a a bit of a, a bit of a worry, or not even a worry, just a, a shame, really, because it yeah. was something that was very, very productive. Yeah, I mean, we've got uh, you know, we've got a German contingent, don't we? We've got a, a Spanish contingent, a French contingent, mm. an English contingent. But you know, is I mean, how do you brand that? Do you like a Jerspar Franglish? That's not a thing that people want to be interested in, is it? Come to come to Arsenal. Yeah. It's a great Jerspar Franglish club. That doesn't make any sense. Well, you- <laughs> it, it, it's, it's not even a word. No. And I think, you know, we talked at length about the attempt to establish a British core and uh, that, I guess, that mini project kind of failed. I mean, you know, they're still around, but I think calling them a core would be a hell of an exaggeration. Mm. British core, blimey, that didn't work. What? Yeah, nice. What? That's yeah. really strong, actually. Thanks. That's, that's very good. Yeah, I did that um, in my best British accent, in in your style, of course. Yes, of course. Well, you absolutely nailed it, I must say. Um, AFC Stew, who's at Gunners2 on Twitter, has a, an interesting question. <clears throat> He's written in to ask, why isn't there a Burger King near where I live? Do you, Does he live in the country? Where he does he lives. live? I don't know where he lives. Unhelpfully, his profile doesn't say. Well, then how now, are we supposed to answer that question, Stu, if that is your real name? Exactly. I mean, I recently tried to find out where the nearest Burger King to me was, I confess. I went on the Burger King website and went on the store locator element of that website because I was craving a Burger King that badly. Mm. So I understand his angst. Um, but uh, I, I think the only sensible answer to this question is to say that because there, there, why isn't there a Burger King near where I live? Because you live in the wrong place. Yeah, I mean that's exactly what it is, and I don't know why anybody would be that concerned whether or not they live very close to a Burger King. I, you know, that to me is not something when you go looking for a house, is it? You go, ooh, well, are there schools? Are there amenities? Public facilities? Public transport? But is it? It's a beautiful house, but unfortunately, there's no Burger King nearby, so I'm not going to buy it. Yeah, I, I don't. Well, they've opened a they've opened a Burger King on the high street. I imagine the value of our property will increase dramatically yeah. based on it. Yeah, I mean, what you should do is, you know, if you're that concerned, go live in the city centre of wherever it is that you live, and that yeah. way, there's generally a Burger King, a number of Burger Kings, in fact, Burgers King, or superior Burger outlets. To be honest, indeed, indeed. Although, sometimes I feel like some of these so-called superior burger outlets have gone a little bit too far. They've taken the simplicity out of a burger. Like, sometimes you get a burger and it arrives on your plate and it's about a foot high. And it's all held together with a gigantic stick right through the middle of it, like a skewer that's holding the Mm. bun in place and the, 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 the slice of tomato that's three inches thick and the half an onion, and the relish, and the cheese, and the pickles, and everything else, that sometimes they, you know, they go too far. They make it inedible. They make it almost impossible to eat the thing by picking it up. And you know what the worst thing in the world is? Forget anything else that's going on. Eating a burger with a knife and fork. Any any burger yeah. outlet that makes that um, necessary really ought to take a long, hard look in the mirror at itself. They failed, really. If it comes to that, I think they've failed. What, yeah. They've not made a burger. They've made some sort of preposterous open sandwich. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I don't even know if you can get a knife and fork in Burger King. And for that, I salute them. Yes. 
Here's a question from uh, DM. I think I know the answer to this one. Uh, he's at DF Moriarty, and he says, "Can ye two? I think he's doing an Irish accent there. Can ye yes, two? Can ye two, uh, fellas? There now, hello. Um, he says, "Can ye two do a Wenger in out song to the tune of the Clash? Should I stay or should I go?" Does he mean? Does he mean? Uh, I thought it was going to be the hokey cokey in and out. Does he mean in live? Does he mean can we j- like just jam it out live? On no, I, I don't think he means live. I think in general, like at some point, can we do this? I mean, do, do you want to do it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely well, there not. You go. Yeah. I, I mean, that. I must say, I, I feel bad about this because obviously. You know me, I've dabbled in parody songs, but there is an extraordinary one about the Arsene Wenger situation doing the rounds. Have you seen that one? About, uh, it's a guy singing to the... I think it's... I think I better leave right now. Is the oh, song, which yeah. I, yeah. 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 It's a lot. It's, it's, I mean... I have it's a seen that. Song. I, I saw about 20 seconds of it, and then I thought, I feel kind of bad watching this. Yeah, I... I yeah, it's, like I mean, not not I, simply I, because of the the abysmal singing, the tuneless nature of it, and and just how crap it is. I just kind of felt bad for that kid. It was like, oh no, yeah. sorry. I do. I mean, look. I mean, I I am similarly tuneless. Basically, I watched it, and it was that sort of dual thing of like, oh, I feel bad for you, but I also recognise that you are effectively me, and that makes me feel worse about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, but, but it's good to have that degree of self-knowledge, at least. It certainly uh, is. Um, have I got any more questions? Let's have a look. So, no, we probably won't do that. I mean, the whole thing... I mean, look, we haven't talked about Austin Wenger, really. It's incredible, isn't it, that we've got this far? I... I let's let's have an Austin Wenger question. You know, it wouldn't be the podcast without it. True Story, who's at True Story number four, says, How long is very soon? How soon is now? How long is a piece yes. of string? How deep is a hole? I, you know, how deep is your love? How deep is my love? What time is love? Three a.m. Eternal. Very nice. And I think that answers the question uh, as best <laughs> as it can be possibly answered. So here's one from Andy Reefman, who's uh, at Andy Reefman. Uh, he says, "I'd like to resubmit my question from last week. It's a problem." So he resubmitted his question, which he asked last week. He says, okay. uh, "A friend, friend in inverted commas." has recently entered a self-defined Phil Collins phase. What do I do? Now, I think the important thing to unpick here is what is a Phil Collins phase? Does that mean a phase where he's started listening to the music of Phil Collins, or is it a phase where he has begun living his life as if he is Phil Collins? See, that's the thing that confused me as well. What if he has sort of shaved his head and eaten so many sweets that he's got a big silly round head now and he's just going to go about the place uh, as phil collins as if he were phil collins that is a very serious problem wow i mean something occurs to me is that since you and i have ever known each other i have i'm not saying i look like phil collins now but i've definitely migrated more towards looking like phil collins than i previously did i think that's a very unfair assessment of <laughs> of your looks and if you're feeling like that i would recommend i'm not being i'm not joking here i think you probably should go and talk to somebody that if that's what you see when you look <laughs> in the mirror I'm, I'm 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 getting that there might be some need to talk 
need to get this out. You know, it's a dysmorphic. Yeah, problem. exactly. You've got body dysmorphia where you think you look like Phil Collins. You don't look like Phil Collins. For a start, you're quite tall. And Phil Collins is, yeah. is not tall. Lack of hair does not a Phil Collins make. You know, certainly as we get older, our hair becomes, our hair becomes thinner. But that's true of many people. You could easily just say, I look like Bruce Willis now. Which you don't, by the way. I don't want to make you think you look like oh. Bruce Willis, but he is—he's equally bald. Or, or Ivan Gazidis, you don't look like him either, nor any other famous bald person I can think of. So, yeah, thank you. That's it's all. like a unique—it's a unique bald look. But I, uh, yeah, Phil Collins' face. I mean, I worry. He's talking about his friend. Is it really this guy? He's seeking help. For this himself. is it. This is it. He says, "Friend," and I do wonder if he's somehow via the medium of Spotify or Google Play Music or Apple Music. It was on shuffle. Perhaps he was listening to one of his favorite songs and it shuffled onto a Phil Collins song. And before he even knew what was happening, his foot was tapping along with it. He was, uh, you know, singing, uh, singing along too. And then realized towards the end of the song, my God. What, Good God, what have I done? What have I done? Oh, no. I... <laughs> I think the only way to solve this is some kind of aversion therapy. So every time you're exposed to Phil Collins, you have to punch yourself in the face or some, something like that. I have got the perfect yeah. solution for it. The perfect solution. What we need is an American actor doing an Irish accent singing Phil mm. Collins. I can feel it coming in the air. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. <laughs> That's what you and that's what you need, and that will put you off Phil Collins for the rest of your life. I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I think we found a sound more irritating than the sound of Phil Collins, <laughs> which is quite an impressive achievement on a Monday morning. Mm, all right, I think we, we've got time for well, one look, final one. Let's hope one. that puts an end. Let's hope that puts an end to this this awkward phase of this guy's life. Yes, yes, it should do. Hopefully, otherwise. Otherwise, I fear for, for the future, not just for him, but for this uh, football club. I think it really taps into what's going on at well, this moment in time. You know, people are turning to Phil Collins. Arsenal have been so uh, so tough. But look, I, I've got one final one. Do you have one before I do mine or, or what? Uh, I do, actually. This yeah. is um, from Ben H., who's at Neon Away Shirts. <gasps> uh, is it the same question? Yes. Ah, good question then. Okay, great. Mm. Well, I will ask it. He says... I like the smell of petrol. What weird smells do you like? Um, fire lighters. Ooh, that's a good smell. Mm. Do you mean the smell of them going on the fire? No, just the smell when you open the packet of fire lighters and you've got the... I guess it's sort of petroly as well, isn't it? That kind of, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. See, I think petrol's not even that a weird one, really. Like, it's sort of quite... It's pretty popular. It's gone quite mainstream as a smell, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I used to be into petrol before it became cool <laughs> as a smell. <laughs> you were a petrol hipster. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I, I like... Um, if you buy a thing of tennis balls and then you open it, the smell of new tennis balls... Oh, it's intoxicating. The smell of new tennis balls. Yeah, mm. it's absolutely delicious. It's like, it's a bit like cut grass, but sort of like it's burnt cut grass. It's just, it's just 
heavenly, mm. I must say. Okay, I don't tend to buy uh, packets of uh, tennis balls. I don't often. play tennis, I'm just buying them and just sniffing them like some sort of tennis ball junkie. Um, a new book, I love the smell of a, of a new book. Hot from the press. Mm. Yeah, there's just something about the smell of a new book that I really like. Um, yeah. Also, um, uh, Tipex. Something's opened on my computer and it's very loud. Sorry, I can't hear it. Oh, it was it was it was a man going. Well, take a look at what happened. I didn't know I had PPI or something like that, and I just shut it down. All right, what's PPI? Personal protection insurance. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. I like Tipex. Tipex thinner. You know the 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 thing you used to get to. to put in your Tipex to, I guess, to, to thin it out. I like that tip-ex one. Tipex thinner? Mm. Wow, what a long process that was. I, I, I wasn't aware of that. So you would have Tipex, and then you would have to add thinner to it. Yeah. To sort of, you know, when, wow. it, got, when it got a bit, um, when it got a bit splodgy after you'd used it for a while, you could add the thinner, I think, to, to you know, liquefy it up a bit as well. And I have to say, permanent markers... Get a good permanent marker under your nose and like, that's good. I like that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that is good. That is good. I mean, there are some smells that are sort of obviously good, you know, like, I don't know, bacon is a good smell, right? Yeah, but that's an obvious one. We're looking for like niche, you know, niche smells here. Yeah. I'm pretty pretty content with tennis balls. I mean, I'm trying to think. I think you remember bad smells more. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's true. I hate the smell of airports. Do airports smell the same? Is there, like, a generic airport smell? I I feel like there is. In fact, let me know if I'm alone in this, people. But, like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like the the air in an airport always kind of tastes the same, and I find it a bit unsettling. Right. Right. I hadn't noticed that, to be perfectly honest. Uh, it might just be me. I'm a bit on edge in, in airports. I'm, a, I'm not a great flyer. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that would be a, a one I don't like. What do, are there any smells that you don't like? Lots. Again, but besides the obvious. Besides the obvious ones. Um, hospitals. I don't like the smell of hospitals. Even though it's obviously a clean smell, an antiseptic kind of a smell, there's something, there's something just fundamentally worrying about it, isn't there? Or not? Hello? No, no, there is. I, right, I, I sorry, I thought you were just ignoring there. me there. You know, we're at the end of the podcast. <laughs> I understand your your uh, interest might be at an all-time low here, but I think the least you could have done no. was just acknowledge <laughs> it, my uh, answer. Jesus. It, you just went silent, so I was sort of just, like, waiting to see what happened. I don't like the smell of chlorine particularly. You know that swimming pool smell? Yeah. That reminds me of being at school and sort of having to get in a swimming pool when it was really cold and I didn't want to do it. Mm. Um, Wet dog is I mean, not I don't a good smell, is it? Wet dog, yeah. What happens there? What is the chemical reaction between wet and dog that creates that smell? You know what, though? I was in the pub on Saturday night and there was a, a Labrador beside me in the pub. It was great. His name was Buster. He had a big waggly tail and he would like come up every so often and get some rubs. And then some people very rudely sat between me and the dog, blocking off my access to the to Buster. So I was a bit unhappy about that. But another guy came in with another dog. Buster was lovely and cuddly and he had lovely. But the other guy came in with a dog. It was sort of a cross between a setter and a retriever. And this dog had obviously been recently wet. And the st- 
stink of him. It hung in the air for for quite a few minutes. Actually, it was uh, it was very difficult to cope with. It's it spoiled my uh, my evening for a few minutes, and then how, I forgot. How's archers? You know, how's a wet archer smell? It's not great, but it's not too bad. An archer has got a really nice. If you just smell the top of his head, he's got a very distinctive uh, smell. I think I love smelling the top of his head. If that doesn't sound right. too weird, I like, you know, in the morning when I give him his hugs, you know, I have to have to give him his hugs. So I always have a quick smell at the top of his head. It's one of those smells that I would know anywhere. Like if you were to line yeah. up 15 German shepherds in a row and blindfold me and ask me, pick your own dog out there by smelling the top of their heads. I would be able to do that. No question. That's quite a skill. Mm. We could set that up, you know, during pre-season, if it gets a bit quiet. <laughs> during an interlull, even, perhaps? Exactly. Next interlull comes along. I know what we can do to entertain ourselves. Mm. All right, well, look. Quite a spectacle. It would, but I, th- I think we should leave it here. We've got a big game coming up this weekend, but one that we might discuss on the Arsecast on Friday. Manchester City at home. Whew. There's a lot to wow. there's a lot to process this week, I think, uh, but we'll Certainly. wait we'll wait till later in the week, James. Uh, thank you as ever, and everyone else. We'll uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye bye. Army hearties, they're after me, lucky charms. <laughs> <laughs> holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.